0: Welcome back to the Midnight Myth Game of Thrones bonus episode. We are in season eight, episode four. It is the Monday after the episode has aired. We watched the episode Monday night and Sunday night. We've watched it now twice for those that are counting. And we're here to give another recap, review, discussion, analysis on it. I just want to say these have been a ton of fun. I love Game of Thrones so much. It's my favorite TV show. I've really enjoyed these bonus episodes. So I hope you guys are into it and are listening, sharing, downloading, reviewing. And thank you for going on this journey with us.
1: The fun thing about these is they're obviously put together in a little less time than our usual episodes, which we like to devote a lot of research and analysis to. Uh, But There is something kind of spontaneous and fun that we can find in the conversations that we have here in our gut reactions, in the first things that our uh, subconscious pulls out in terms of history, mythology, and philosophy. I think it's really fun and a good springboard to our larger episodes. So it'll be interesting to see as this season continues and wraps up the series uh, how we can parlay the kind of work that we're doing on these episodes into our full character case studies and beyond.
0: Yeah, I'm totally into that because you know where there are dark wings, there are dark words.
1: Yes, there are. And there
0: were a lot of dark words in this episode. I feel like structurally we should keep it pretty much uh, copacetic from the other Game of Thrones bonuses. Yeah. Quick reactions, quick analysis, then we'll go into MVP scene and then MVP character and then maybe wrap up with where we think this is going, which there's only two more episodes left. What? I can't believe it. Game of Thrones. The show is almost over. We're going to have to think of something to celebrate, something awesome to do. I don't know what it is, but man, I can't tell you this has been a journey as a fan. And I'm very excited to see where this wraps up. Before we jump into our quick takes here, Laurel, want to do your thing and tell people how they can uh, support the pod?
1: Yeah, so if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can hit us up on social media. The best place for that is Twitter, at The Midnight Myth. You can also hit us up on Facebook and on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast. Uh, We just recently launched our Patreon page. So if you are a loyal supporter and listener of The Midnight Myth Podcast, and you've been wondering how to help us out and help us continue to make great content here on The Midnight Myth, Patreon is the best way to do that. So you can go to patreon.com slash midnightmyth. Or you can head back to our website, www.midnightmyth.com, and there's a link to our Patreon there. And you can support us for as little as $1 a month. And with that pledge, uh, you'll get some extra perks, and you can give at any level that you want. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Uh, But you'll get extra content. You'll get discounts on merch. You'll get shout-outs on the pod. Uh, It's a really wonderful way to support us. And we are so thankful for those who have already supported us. I told them I was going to thank them on our next episode, so I'll do that too. But I just want to shout out Heath, Mary Liz, and Beth. Thank you for becoming our first three Patreons.
0: Yeah, three Patreon subscribers. Thank you guys so much love to all of you for subscribing. Let's talk some Game of Thrones. Laurel, give me your uh, quick take. Let's hear it.
1: Okay, um, my quick take on this episode, it was not my favorite Um, I thought it was off to a very strong start with the, uh, funeral scene and the feast at Winterfell as they are celebrating the win from the last week's battle. Um, I thought that was strong. I thought there were some good character seeds being laid. I enjoy seeing characters, uh, relate outside of battle and in comfortable situations, um, the best sort of pop culture touchstone for that that I usually cite when I talk about things that I like to see is Hawkeye's house in Avengers Age of Ultron. I like seeing characters get to relate in scenes of safety when they're usually under threat. And I think that interesting character threads can come of that. So I enjoyed um, very much the the first half hour of this episode. Once uh, Once that was over, I thought that this episode... Definitely slid into plot machinations over character development and Undid a lot of the good work that it had done in the previous couple of episodes with some exceptions I don't think that's across the board But I did think it felt very much like they were trying to get characters where they needed to be for the next battle and shame logic shame uh, What those characters would actually do if they were in that situation we just had to get them where they had to go
0: can you uh, hit me with a specific there, or do you want to save that for later?
1: Um, a specific would be the um, the Unsullied and Danny heading to Dragonstone uh, and not sending an advanced scout, not you know checking out whether their uh, their abandoned castle, which is across the street from King's Landing, might be monitored by the Iron Fleet necessarily. Um, and so quickly trying to get those characters into one place so that a dragon could get swiftly taken out felt really um, just not genuine to me and just felt like it, it needed to get a dragon taken out. Um, so that, that was kind of the sense that I got from this episode. Um, to go just a little bit deeper into that, I also thought that this episode wasn't particularly uh, sensitive when it came to how it handled the women of Game of Thrones.
0: I think that's a big topic, and I think that's bigger than a quick take, so I think I'm going to pause my personal quick take, and I I would like, if you don't mind, to elaborate what you mean specifically on that point. Do you think it was all the female characters, just some? Like, tell me a little bit more there.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I thought that nearly all of the women characters in this episode were not treated in a way that was consistent or honest to their character development thus far, and in some cases was deeply irresponsible with the message that it was sending. Um, the The biggest ones that I, I you know can put out here are uh, obviously the uh, the final character death in Masande was troubling for a lot of viewers, um, as the only woman of color on this show was publicly beheaded. Uh, in a, a a piece of theater about how monstrous Cersei is and seemingly just as fodder to uh, anger Daenerys into, uh, you know, rage and slaughter.
0: I mean, can I say something real yeah. quick? It, not seemingly, 100%. Yeah. There, she, Cersei executed, you know, misandry. I'm not saying that correctly. Missandei. Missandei uh thank you. She completely did that just to taunt Daenerys just in the hopes to get Daenerys to make a tactical error to get under her skin to play a very bloody form of psychological warfare. So I wouldn't even say seemingly. That's yeah. why it was done 100%. That's why that was done.
1: And the optics of having the only black woman on the show in chains at the end of this episode was less than stellar. Uh, so it was certainly something that you would have hoped they might have you know, spent a little more time looking at. Um, especially with the legacy of this show and its relationship to women. The other moment that really got under my skin was with Sansa, who is a favorite character of mine. Uh, and she shared, I think, what was almost a really great scene with Sandor Clegane at the feast after the battle. Um, it was nice and touching to see them relate and address the fact that, you know, things would have been completely different if she had made another choice in season one. And, uh, And she says something to the effect of, if I had gone with you, if it weren't for them, if it weren't for all of the men who abused me, I would still be the same little bird. And I think the dangerous implication of that is that it it treads on the line of giving credit to Ramsay, of giving credit to her abusers for her being the strong person that she is today. And the fact is, Sansa's strong because Sansa's strong, and... Uh, in the execution of that line, it came across in a way that I thought was disingenuous and was tone deaf to the trauma that she had suffered.
0: Um. Wow. Okay. I didn't even consider that implication when I watched it. Which is fair. It's fair. That's amazing. I am. Wow. I'm processing that because... The way I interpreted that scene is she's pretty much saying it didn't kill me, so it made me stronger.
1: Right, which I think is the intention.
0: But I see what you're saying, that on a certain level it could say, yeah, I got married to a sociopath who beat me and raped me worse than Joffrey beat me and humiliated me. And because of that, I'm now Lady of Winterfall. So it's okay to be beaten. Like, wow, that's Right,
1: a- yeah, and... Uh- these writers have had their issues and have had to come out and apologize for mishandling that very situation in the past, mishandling the uh, the scene of marital rape uh, between uh, Ramsey and Sansa, and so to not have tread more carefully with the way they depicted the scene, I think, was a major misstep, and goes to show what happens when you don't have women in the writers' room. Right, uh, and I think you know there wasn't an intention to say you know, Sansa is strong because of the violence that she endured. I don't think that was necessarily what they were trying to say. I think it was more like they wanted to say, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, but or, in the execution... I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, in the execution, it just came off really glib.
0: Or in the way they were trying to say when Theon's apologizing to Bran, right. where Bran quite clearly says don't apologize. Every choice that you made led you right here. Here is where you belong. Here is home. That sort of vindicates Theon's wrong deeds. Yeah. This sort of had potentially the worst, the, like the reverse effect where it vindicated the wrong deeds that others did to Sansa.
1: Yeah. Cause the difference between those two is like you made bad choices, Theon, but you are not the sum of your bad choices. You are more than that. Uh, and what, the implication is for Sansa: if all of the bad things that happened to you, without your agency, without your consent, without your uh, you know ab- ability to uh, you know offer your power in that moment, is what formed you, and th- that I think is uh, is just not true to that
0: character. Refresh my memory: in that conversation, did they specifically mention Ramsay? I think they did, right?
1: Yeah, I think she says if it weren't for you know Littlefinger and Ramsay. I would still be that little bird.
0: See, you know, an, an easy easier fix to me, because Cersei, I'm sorry, Sansa suffers at the hands of Littlefinger and Ramsay undoubtedly, but she also suffers under the hands of Cersei. However, Cersei and Littlefinger also do teach Sansa things. Yeah. They also teach her how to play the game. They teach her how to manipulate people. Now, whether these lessons are good lessons, bad lessons... At the same time, they still gave her something that she could say, I got something from Cersei. Yeah,
1: something of value.
0: Even if it's just don't ever be like Cersei, if you have power, I still got something from Cersei. Think of that like terrible boss that you had that you're like, man, if I'm ever a boss, I'll never be like that asshole. Right. Right, so at the very least, she might've gotten that. Throwing Ramsey, like, what did she get? Like, there's no value to Ramsay. Like, Ramsay was just awful to her didn't teach her anything. That's an interesting perspective. One that I hadn't considered because I kind of took it on face value. She's saying it didn't kill me. So I'm stronger. So I could have gone with you, but there's a chance I would have never gotten stronger. But you're right. That's a very interesting perspective.
1: Yeah. And it's just a thing that I think we should all be aware of as we're moving through these stories that we love. Uh, So moving on from there, I do want to hear your quick take. I'm sorry to unload something so heavy at the front, but I did think this episode had some incredible value. So I want to hear what you had to say about it.
0: I mean, all in all, I actually rather enjoyed this episode and thought it was a good piece of Game of Thrones. Albeit, I don't think this is going to make the highlight reel of the season. I think that Game of Thrones is least interesting to me when it spends considerable amount of time speeding things up to get a large group of people from point A to point B so uh, a plot point you know, C can happen. And lots of season seven was like that. We have to get all the characters in the north. Why do we have to get all the characters in the north? Because we need an ice dragon. And so let's just find a way to get them all in the north so that we can have an ice dragon. And it doesn't really matter if this makes sense. And I think there was a piece of that in this episode in particular in its second and back half however they all the characters do have to go south if they're going to take the seven kingdoms so it's not as illogical as some of the 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 evidence of season seven yeah i in general really liked it i in general enjoyed the same things that you enjoyed i did enjoy the funeral scene i totally enjoyed the feast i enjoyed watching these characters kind of both grieve and celebrate simultaneously. And I thought there were some brilliant moments in particular for, for Tormund, in particular for Jamie and Brienne, and uh, even for Davos and Tyrion had some good moments in there. So I, I enjoyed watching these characters celebrate uh, as well as mourning the trauma of that battle. Yeah, I really liked seeing Gendry become a lord. I thought that was just a great pay- payoff as well as a good piece of playing the Game of Thrones from Daenerys. I thought that was really cool. In the and at the end of it, I thought that this was a very good post battle setup for next battle. This episode served as the transition from the last battle to this battle, and you're right, it served that more so than it served any one individual character or any one individual emotion or any really one individual theme. There wasn't really a big theme that came out of this as in some of the other episodes, in particular episodes one, two, and three, I thought had big themes coming out of it. This one was more like, we need to set up the next thing, which is the final conflict for the throne.
1: Right, right. And
0: in that, if that's not what you're looking for, which generally speaking is not what I'm looking for for Game of Thrones, I walk away thinking of it like, okay, this episode had to happen. There's no other way for for this to happen. It had to happen. It kind of had to happen like this. We had to get everybody surrounding Cersei. We had to see Cersei do something that reminds us why she's a bad guy. And we have to set up the conflict of, does Daenerys burn the city to the ground or does Daenerys not burn the city to the ground? Because that's sort of the heart of her moral conflict. And we're going to see how it shakes out.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a good take. So what's next? Do we do MVP scenes?
0: Yeah, sure. You go.
1: Okay, um, so my uh, standout scene was the uh, funeral pyre, uh, the first, the opening scene of this episode. I thought it was a really strong um, character moment, even though it was light on uh, language and dialogue, it was deeply suffused with all of the relationships that we've seen over the past eight seasons. I thought having each of the main characters who was holding a torch sort of confront Um, and have to say goodbye to the person who maybe laid down their life for them in the battle, or someone who they feel like they let down. I thought that was really powerful. I thought Sansa taking off her brooch and putting the Stark pin on Theon, posthumously making him a Stark, was really powerful. Uh, And I thought the evolution of the musical theme that we got from the uh, Night King last episode was really emotional, um, just an excellent piece of music. And the music has been on point this entire season. So uh, overall, it really worked really well for me. John's speech, very Shakespearean um, and an interesting microcosm of the the conflict of uh, the North at this point. So I loved
0: it. Yeah, um, it was also my standout scene. You know, I thought it was the best scene. I think you pretty much said all of the same reasons in particular, I liked John's speech. And the reason that I liked John's speech is that it is making an argument for uh, historical veracity that we have to establish and set up a lineage of how to remember this sacrifice and how to remember this battle. And that those that fell in this battle will be honored as long as people draw breath to sit there and make a claim that there is a history that needs to be written and it needs to be told and it needs to be disseminated in order for the sacrifice of those that they're about to burn on the funeral pyre in order for that sacrifice to have mattered. In other words, it reaffirms one of the themes that we saw in episode two, which is you're only really dead if you have been completely forgotten. So the real true enemy, the true death is forgetting the sacrifice which I think fits where I think the theme is going, that eventually all of this bloodshed will be worth it. It will matter. The people that laid down their lives did not do so in vain. Starting from Ned Stark to Jor Mormont, everyone who sacrificed themselves in this bloody battle will ultimately have some kind of a payoff. May not be what we expect, may not be what we think it should be, but it'll matter and it'll be important.
1: I think that's great, um, and there's something in uh, John's speech that makes these figures myths, right? They have become uh, this this thing, this legendary thing, these great heroes who died to save the world from everlasting darkness, and there are going to be songs written about them. So at the end of all of this, they will be remembered, even if people don't remember their face. We'll never see their like again, They'll they'll survive in the songs of this land, and they'll be carried through the legends, and they'll become you know a new age of hero as this land hopefully finally progresses past the medieval mess that it is now.
0: Yeah, and I also like that he specifically harkens out language from the the Night's yeah, Watch. from there, by saying they are the shield or the guard. I'm fucking it up, but you know what I'm saying, everyone. Yeah, that yeah, the, yeah, yeah. they are the garter, the shield that guards the realm, etc. I paraphrased it terribly. Um, Should have written it down before I started podcasting. So sorry. But I yeah, I really thought that was the standout awesome moment. I think if there is a theme linking the last three episodes, episode two, three, and four, it's that make sure that you remember it does matter. These sacrifices are important. So I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome.
0: Want to give me your MVP character?
1: I do. Um, So my runner-up was actually Arya Stark this week. Um, and I was really close to choosing her cause I liked her asserting that just like, I know who the fuck I am. I'm not a lady and I'm going to go and deal with my unfinished business. I appreciated that in an episode that felt a little haphazard with some of the character arcs, but my MVP is Tyrion Lannister. Okay. I thought this was Tyrion's episode from start to finish. Um, and I thought he was peak Tyrion. I thought he was more Tyrion than he ever has been. Uh, you're smiling like he's yours too.
0: Yeah, he's mine too. <laughs> so I was I think, totally gonna pick Tyrion. He's, yeah. He is the best character in this whole, um, this, in whole this episode. episode part of So me. I
1: think we can kind of just discuss this instead of having to take turns. Sure. But I'm really blown away um, by how consistently his uh, moral dilemma was drawn throughout this entire episode that he got to show off like, classic Tyrion negotiations in the Braun scene. Uh, he got to uh, have this opportunity to sharpen his mind uh, on the whetstone. Um, and I thought that was really fun to see with that uh, scene with him and Jamie and Braun. And I like him defending Daenerys. I feel like the show is trying to show the cracks Uh, in him, that he is starting to become uh, afraid of her, but I thought the fact that he continued to assert that he believes in her, he continued to throw himself in front of any attempt to assassinate her character, uh, was really admirable, and I, uh, I, I relate to that, because I fucking hate it when people say that Daenerys is, you know, not clear headed that someone is more measured than her. And I'm like, yeah, are you? So you're saying the woman is emotional here? Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, So I appreciated that he was uh, very steadfast in defending her to uh, all of the attacks coming from all sides.
0: I totally agree with all said points and would like to add a few additional points, please. I really enjoyed that he looked Cersei in the eyes and said, you're not a monster. And I think that is another, you know, great theme of that particular character, who's often considered a monster, has been called a monster. Yeah, and everyone by her, Cersei, but tons of people, but in, in particular Cersei, and a lot of people think and of Cersei as a monster, and she's done some truly monstrous things. But him looking at her and admitting and saying, "I know you're a person. I know you can have love, and I know you can care about things." and I know you're not the monster that everyone says you are, that you are, a, at, at your core, you're still a potential mom here with a baby. Let's protect that baby. And making that appeal to her is about the only appeal that might potentially have worked, that might have considered, made Cersei reconsider battling Daenerys for the throne and instead, you know, potentially laying down, you know, her her mantle as the queen of the seven kingdoms. So I really enjoyed that. I thought it was both emotionally smart. I think it linked to his character arc and I think it was also very tactically smart. So it was peak Tyrion, yeah. as you were saying. Yeah. you know, It was really great. I love that Varys essentially wanted to like, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, let's kill her if we have to. We've got Jon Snow as a backup. Oh God. And Tyrion was like, no, flat out, no, I'm yeah. not doing that. Please don't. You know, And I would like to talk now, as we transition out of MVP characters into more sure. predictions, I'd like to talk a little bit about the theme and the discussion, especially online about Daenerys' future and about how many people think Daenerys is going to go mad right. and because she's going to go mad. A character like Tyrion or Jon's going to have to kill her. So she can't be the queen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about this.
0: And I want to go on record here. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. Game of Thrones is not a show that rewards you for, well, it can reward you for predicting it, but I don't go into this wanting to try to figure out the Martin riddle. That's not why I enjoy it. Martin may be telegraphing to me how this is going to end the whole time, but I'd rather see it end and then go back and find those foreshadows and think about how clever it is. That's That's great, yeah. I do not want to see Daenerys go mad. I don't want to see that either. Two, I don't think she's going mad. I don't think we've seen any evidence whatsoever that she's even remotely close to insanity. Three, I think there is an inherent problem when her showing the same sort of gravitas, authority, and assertiveness that other male characters have on the show— that there's an instant cultural backlash to be like, oh man, she's gonna become a crazy bitch just like Cersei. Right. So so you know, Jamie Lannister, for example, threatens to slaughter every man, woman, and child in River Run. And now he's not on the Iron Throne, but no one's like, oh, Jamie's about to go insane. Right. Daenerys kills two highborn prisoners alive. Terrible fucking thing that she did in season seven. Don't advocate for it. But the purpose of her doing these horrible things is to illustrate a broader theme that nobody who's on their way to power gets there with clean hands. Even with the most well-intentioned, you're going to make mistakes. Those mistakes are going to cost lives, and you're going to do something terrible. You don't get to sit on the Iron Throne with completely clean hands. However, that doesn't mean the person on their way there can't do great things when they get to power. Right. That is a one of the bigger meditations on power that it matters who's in, in control as articulated through Varys, who says in this episode, I serve the realm because there's millions of people and whoever is sitting on the throne will ultimately determine their lives. And that is super important. So it matters who's in charge yep. and how you get there, everyone gets morally gray on the way to it even a hero like Daenerys. That's the point. Someone who wants power, who wants power for the right reasons, who has a really good idea and a really progressive forward-thinking idea on how to be a monarch will eventually make mistakes and do things that cost people's lives on her path to the throne. It doesn't mean she's going insane. So where do we go from there? My next point on this. In this episode, Daenerys lost one of her dragons due to strategic fuckery and stupidity, stupidity that she's partly to blame about with not, you know, trying to see if there was an enemy fleet hiding behind the rocks in Dragonstone. She loses a dragon, which she connects to as kin as a child in just not like what, maybe a week after she lost Jorah, her most trusted and closest advisor, her second most trusted and closest advisor has been captured by the enemy and she's dealing with her lover who has a claim to the throne that people are going to say is more legitimate than hers. Yep. Yo, shit's fucking stressful for her. Oh my God. Of course right? she's going to have some anger in her eyes. That doesn't mean she's going fucking crazy. Are you insane? Have we seen her talk to voices in her head? Have we like, have we seen any indication of madness whatsoever? Have we seen her make mistakes? Does she have a temper? Yes. And could it be that that temper might be her undoing in the next two episodes? Absolutely, that's totally possible. But get out of here with this Mad Queen bullshit. She's not a Cersei. And I just had to say that and get that off my chest. Yeah,
1: Cersei actually blew up hundreds of people with wildfire two seasons ago. Uh, I I don't, yeah, I, I don't like the idea of a Mad Queen Daenerys um, uh, arc. It may be where they're heading, um, but I hope it's not. I think we can do better than that. I think we can do better than two mad queens battling it out uh, against each other so that a more level-headed, I'm doing air quotes, level-headed man can come and take the throne from under them. Uh, And this is another reason why Tyrion was my MVP this week, was because any time that an attack came at him like... uh, that I worry about her state of mind. Well, yeah, we're her advisors. We should always be worrying about her state of mind. Uh, everything that came at him, he was like, yeah, she, uh, she hungers for power just like everyone who has ever been a monarch ever. She's not out of step with anything. Uh, and I truly believe that she wants to make the world a better place. So, and
0: here's the most important part yeah. to that too. If you, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, 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 go ahead. So does Tyrion. Yes. One of the smartest characters on the show truly believes that she wants to make a better place. He'd be an idiot if he didn't fear her. He saw her burn two prisoners alive. Right. And I do have to hearken, like that's a most horrible, heinous war crime to execute, you know, enemy combatants. It's a terrible, terrible, war crime. Just about every monarch in human history has done it. Right every single one of them it didn't mean they were going insane, including heroes like Richard the Lionheart, um who is thought of and still remembered as a great king of England. He executed I think it was somewhere between two thousand to three thousand uh hostage prisoners that he took when he wanted to get payments out of his enemy in the third crusade, right so thousands of people he lobbed all of their heads off to taunt his enemy. This is something that happens in a world such as Game of Thrones. It's horrible. It's terrible. Martin is trying to tell us these lessons. Let's not muddle it up with our own sexual or uh, sexist biases that like that must mean she must be going insane. I don't think she's going insane. I don't think the show will show her going insane. Yes, anger is one of her weaknesses. And yes, anger might be her undoing because if she just hops on her dragons and tries to attack King's Landing head on with all of their gigantic crossbow darts flying at her, she's going to die. Yeah. You know, she's going to need a strategy on how to get the dragon past those darts. She just has to. Otherwise, she won't win. That's absolutely true. So if she just gets all raged and tries to do it, they have an effective countermeasure to her dragons that's already killed one of them. That's the whole purpose of us seeing that, that the dragons can get killed. And so we'll see what happens next week.
1: We will see what happens next week. Um, I'd love to, since we talked a little bit about uh, John's claim to the throne, I want to spend just a few moments on uh, some of the like, literary things that I picked up in this episode and the, uh, the previous couple of episodes in this season, some of the things that I'm noticing. Is that okay with you? Totally. So it's no secret that George R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones uh, take a lot from William Shakespeare. Arya's Frey pie is straight out of Titus Andronicus. Uh, Stannis is a Macbeth figure. Um, Littlefinger is Iago. And there are several King Lear um, archetypes that are part of this story. Um, But one of the things that I just want to draw some attention to, Daenerys gives a really good voice to in this episode when she refers to the secret of Jon's lineage taking on a life of its own. Uh, And that's something that we definitely see happening from uh, the first episode of this season into this one, where it just starts to spread like, for lack of a better word, wildfire. Uh, And that's that there's an interpretation of Shakespeare's Hamlet, uh, where if you follow the poison in this narrative, you can actually see it come full circle. So if you're not familiar with Hamlet, you probably are. But the whole series of events is kicked off by uh, Hamlet Sr., the king of Denmark, being murdered by his brother Claudius by pouring poison into his ear. The next major thing to happen is that his ghost is walking the ramparts of the castle at Denmark, and his son Hamlet comes home from university, and the ghost tells him what had happened to him, and that he must take his vengeance. So as the literal poison is poured into Hamlet Sr.'s ear, a somewhat symbolic poison is poured into Hamlet Jr.'s ear. Uh, This idea of a quest for vengeance begins to take on a life of its own within Hamlet. And from there, we see literal and uh, metaphorical poison in the form of either a solution that will kill you, or language that changes the way that you think about the world, spread through the characters in this narrative, and... It becomes a really potent metaphor for the corruption that uh, runs rampant in Denmark. Uh, Ophelia goes mad after uh, Hamlet poisons her ear with uh, inappropriate and unkind words. And I think there's something interesting to see in the parallels to uh, John's secret taking on a life of its own. Once it's divulged to someone, it's like poison that festers inside you they can't keep it to themselves and it changes their entire outlook. It gets Varys to start plotting to assassinate Daenerys if we're uh, you know, interpreting this correctly. It gets Sansa to turn even more harshly against Daenerys. Uh, so I think there's just an interesting connection that's there.
0: Totally, I think that's really cool. Well, I mean, we'll see ultimately if this proves to be a healing potion or a poison where yeah. it goes. But I definitely think... Daenerys warns Jon, if you really don't want a claim, don't tell anyone because it won't matter. It will get out. And then what that claim will do, it'll change you. It'll change us. It'll change everything. And we really start to see that. Yeah. I mean, Varys says at one point when Tyrion goes, you know, he doesn't want to be king and Varys says, echoing what Daenerys says, I don't think it matters what he wants. Right. And Daenerys says that to him. Hey, people aren't going to care that you don't want it once they think you're the king. And uh, I definitely feel like that sort of literary tradition of Hamlet and that secrets and Shakespeare feels like it is starting to to go on there. And, you know, if we're still in this vein of prediction, there's a part of me seeing John's direwolf and John's two closest friends in Tormund, Sam, looking at him from Winterfell with John going south with Tormund saying, you got the real north in you. And, you know, uh, Sansa saying things like, Stark men don't do well in the South. John had a dragon. John now doesn't have a dragon. Like there seems to be a lot of portents of doom right there yeah, around Jon. Yeah, it John. feels
1: pretty doomy.
0: It really does. I'm like, oh my God, you're leaving Sam, torment, and Ghost in the North. Yeah. And you're going South. You're not taking one of them. Like who's really on your side once you get down there, John? You've got your Northmen that are going to fight for you. Right. Yeah, but you don't have any of your allies. You got Davos, I guess who's technically an advisor to sit Dennis and a Southerner, really, you know, not really a Northerner. I am very much feel like there is a poison in John. And I think you articulated that and it'll spread. And I hopefully not, but I feel like this is the first episode in season eight where I've paused and thought, John's not going to win this thing. The whole time I thought John's going to win this thing. This is all about John. It's been his story. But after hearing hearing what you said about Hamlet, in conjunction with him leaving his his like triad of protection, the people that under the people and animal that understand and represent him, yeah. and are you know ghost is a shadow of like an other of him. He's leaving his dire wolf his dire wolf starkness behind, yeah. his wildling self behind, and his night watch night man of the night's watch self are all left behind. Yeah, and like. That can't be good.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying that you know this is going to play out like Hamlet, but Hamlet did get you know slashed with a poison sword at the end of that narrative. His own secrets, his own lies, his own vengeance motivator uh, came back and bit him. I think if we're messing with um, predictions a little bit, I don't. I really don't know what's going to happen here. Same. I've never had money on John taking the Iron Throne just because I I think that's a little bit boring, but. I have an inkling that perhaps at the end of this, if those portents don't spill, uh, don't spell absolute doom, we could see John head back north um, to either take the black again, perhaps, or become maybe king beyond the wall. I think that might be an interesting development for that character.
0: Yeah, no chance. No chance. I, I'm a hard no on that one. I no way. John is either king on the Iron. He's in the great game. Yeah, he is in the great game right now. And as Cersei articulates in season one, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. And John is playing the game reluctantly. He doesn't believe he's playing. It's got so much Ned Stark all over it. It really does. Ned Stark who cuts the throat of a direwolf on the King's Road. Ned Stark who doesn't understand the game. Ned Stark who shuns the game and looks down on it. Ned Stark who doesn't have enough of his friends and advisors there around him. He's now in the great game. He's now south, moving south, left of the north behind. I just, I have a bad feeling.
1: I got a bad feeling about this. I have
0: a bad feeling that John is in way over his head. I do think, you know, da- Daenerys loves John, but she's not gonna like. Sam was right in season eight, episode one. Daenerys is not gonna give up her throne for John. No, flat out period. Nor should she. She said it was her destiny. This is the first time I think we've heard her say that. Maybe not. But she said it this season. It's her destiny. She'll get there at all costs. Bye-bye, John. Bye-bye. Well, that's about all I got to say about that. Hopefully I'm wrong because I love John Snow and I want him to be king. But who knows?
1: Should we go and get some Starbucks?
0: Let's go and get some Starbucks and leave it on the table. And until next time, be coffee cup.
1: Be kind.